What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a Locked On crossover on this Friday morning. Locked on Vikings and Locked on Jaguars converge. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Today's show brought to you by Josh Schrock, co-owner and realtor of Wits Realty, witsrealty.com. Today I'm joined by Locked on Jaguars host, Kerry Belkin, down in from what I hear is a frigid Florida. Is that accurate? Uh, Frigid by our standards, certainly not by... uh northern standards as soon as you start getting to the to the fives in that tens column on uh on the thermometer it really starts becoming uh unacceptable for the people down here in florida or it may just be me uh, i i hate anything anything cold and once you start getting into the 50s that's a that's a no-no in my book well i'm sure the minnesota vikings appreciate the road trip this time of year they're escaping the 10 degree 20 degree weather up here they get to go down to whatever it is down in Jacksonville. And I think they're appreciating the indoor facility too up here. The Vikings only have one really bad cold weather game this month in Green Bay. But other than that, they've got a Jan 1 game at home. They've got a December 18th game at home. And then obviously Sunday in Jacksonville. So it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, you know, this trip for them is, it's got to be almost like the, a trip to the Bahamas for what the for what they're used to over in Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I wish I was going on the road trip, but uh, <laughs> pretty pretty desperate game for the Minnesota Vikings. They need to win this game, and they probably need to win out. Their journey to win the Final Four begins on Sunday, and I'm sure Jacksonville knows that. And I know Alex Boone mentioned yesterday in the locker room that you know he's afraid that Jacksonville is going to throw the kitchen sink at them and just get really aggressive with the play calls. Could you see that happening? I could. Uh, the problem is last week Jacksonville knew that Denver needed to win every game. Um, I, I'm sure you know the situation over in the ASC West where there's just a jumble at the top that's clearly the best division in football right now. Um, so Jacksonville knew, and seemingly everybody showed up except Lake Bortles. Um, so while you can imagine them trying to throw the kitchen sink, it's the person that's going to be throwing the kitchen sink that you have concerns about uh, in regards to this team. I certainly can see them putting out tremendous effort, um, but whether or not it pans out, especially with the defense that Minnesota is going to bring into the game um, against a guy like Blake Bortles, uh, how good he does in this game just remains to be seen given the up and down season he's had. Well, the Vikings have been very adept at takeaways this year. They're top three in the league in the take give. They've won four out of their six games 
by scoring on defense and or special teams. They are extremely um, aggressive on third and longs. And if, if that defensive line can stop the rush and create some unfavorable situations for Bortles, they're going to put him in some tough spots. Now, the one advantage that Bortles might have is he won't have to look into Harrison Smith on the back end because in all likelihood, Harrison Smith is not going to be playing on Sunday, has a grade three ankle sprain. And unless he can play through that, uh, he hasn't practiced all week. That'll be a big advantage for Jacksonville to not have to deal with arguably the best member of the Vikings secondary. Yeah, you know, that's um, honestly, I think that defense can throw so much at Blake Board. You mentioned how uh, Minnesota is one of the better teams in the league when it comes to scoring off defense and special teams. The feel here is if you watched any Jacksonville games, they will walk into the game uh, giving the other team like a, an average somewhere of a 10-point spot. Um, Blake Bortles, past couple games, has thrown pick sixes. Special teams have given up big plays. So it's not conceivable that Minnesota doesn't live up to that, especially with how good they are defensively. And Jacksonville has... Uh, one of the worst turnover differentials in the league. So they're not good at keeping a hold on the ball. Again, Blake Bortles throwing pick sixes. Uh, Blake Bortles having the fumble. Um, He had a fumble last week in their uh, penultimate drive that that sealed the game for him. Uh, Denver was able to get a field goal uh, and extend the lead to 10 points with under two minutes to go. And that, that was the end of the game right there. Uh, Jacksonville doesn't do a great job at taking the ball away. And on the flip side, um, or they don't give a, they don't do a good job at protecting the ball. And then on the flip side, they're not great at taking it away either. Uh, They only have three interceptions on the year. They're a league worst seven uh, turnovers forced by the defense. So really what you're looking for is they have to play flawlessly, uh, especially on defense, knowing that in some facet they will be up against the wall because the offense or the special teams will let up a big play. Harrison Smith not playing for Minnesota, uh, I guess, is a good thing for Jacksonville. But at the same time, the other guy, uh, on the other side of the field from Smith, Xavier Rhodes is not too shabby himself. Uh, he's he's probably one of the – you could say that's one of the defensive uh, best defensive backfields in the NFL. Rhodes is certainly up there with the way he plays. Well, the underrated part, too, is that Terrence Newman, his cornerback partner, has been outstanding at age 38. He's the, the oldest cornerback in the NFL by five years, and he's still playing at – a high, high level, who knows? He could come back for his age 39 season. And the way he takes care of his body, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of drop-off. So between Rhodes and Smith and Newman, it's been a good year as far as coverage goes for the Vikings. And I speculated yesterday that the Vikings have actually maybe hurt themselves because they're so good at coverage that quarterbacks go into games against them and they say, you know, I'm going to be a little 
I'm get, I'm not going to be as aggressive maybe trying to fit these balls into certain windows. I'm instead going to tuck it and run if I have to. And the Vikings have been susceptible against scrambling quarterbacks, which Blake Bortles is very good at. Uh, that seems to be a great weapon that he'll be able to utilize. Yeah, he, uh, he's been able to do things on the ground uh, the last two games, really. Uh, Blake Bortles had 80 yards in the game against Buffalo two weeks ago. He actually led the team in rushing, and then last week uh, he had a, for their only touchdown, he had a 22-yard scramble that ended up uh, giving them, like I said, their only touchdown of the game. Uh, and it was when Denver was playing man defense. They dropped everybody back. Nobody had an eye on them. He just kind of took it right up the middle and scored. And, again, it's those kind of things are great, but he's going to have to throw the ball uh, eventually if they want any chance of winning. And you kind of you kind of wonder, it's not really if he will make the mistake. This is like the feel of anybody watching the game. It's not if he's going to make a mistake, but when he does it and how much it's going to cost Jacksonville, whether he throws an interception or an interception return for a touchdown or if he fumbles the game uh, or fumbles the ball at the end of the game, costing them, you know, the game at, if he makes a mental mistake like he did in Buffalo uh, where he took a delay of game penalty on fourth and four, making it fourth and nine, and then threw the ball under the sticks to a route, uh, to a crossing route that had no chance of getting to the first down. So he can really take advantage of the weakness of the Minnesota Vikings, which is sort of, as you alluded to, the allowing quarterbacks to run. It's sort of been like an Achilles heel for them. But at the same time, when he pulls the ball up and has to throw it, I think Minnesota gains that advantage there because he just seems not to be a good thrower of the ball this year. I'm getting the vibe that things are pretty negative right now with Blake Bortles. And sometimes the worst thing for young quarterbacks is, is high expectations. Obviously people were all over Jacksonville. I felt nationally thinking that this was their big year where the trajectory, you know, increased and Bortles had his breakthrough season in year three and Bradley was a great coach and everything seems to have really soured on Jacksonville is Bortles taking mo most of that heat or is Bradley taking his fair share as well? Uh, Bradley is definitely taking his fair share right now. If you, the feel around here um, in regards to Bradley short and simple as he's done uh, come the end of the season, he won't be the head coach here. Um, everybody that's just a fact of life at this point mm -hmm. with Blake Bortles. It's a little bit more difficult. The feeling of the fans, you know, no matter who you talk to, is that he's not the, the quarterback of the future. The organization, however, they seem to remain unsure. Uh, with some of the games that he has had, um, and really the turning point of the season, if we were to split the season in half, would be the Tennessee game um, on Thursday night, the one that Jacksonville got embarrassed in, uh, in the national spotlight. And up until then, people were still, there was a little bit of hope. And then after that, 
you know, the roof came down. Uh, and the whole the whole organization just seemingly collapsed. And then that's when people started looking at Blake Bortles with a much more critical eye. That game actually ended up costing Greg Olson, the former offensive coordinator, his job. And they just they've just seen this terrible lack of production. And it doesn't help that the expectations that you mentioned were so high. If if this defense, with everything that he had, if you were to substitute a quarterback like, uh, let's say, Brady or Andrew Luck or something like that on this team, they'd be easy a 10-win team. Like, that's how good the talent here is around Blake Bortles, and he's flamed out. And not only that, if you look at uh, things in a vacuum, if you could take a look at the Jacksonville Jaguars within a vacuum and have no outside uh, factors play into it, you might be more willing to to give him another chance with as much as we've seen. But the problem is you can't look at it in a vacuum. So Jaguars fans, not only are they seeing Blake Bortles struggle, but they're seeing Derek Carr take off in the Oakland Raiders, who were another team that everybody was pointing to nationally as being a possible sleeper team in the AFC. You know, they're second in their division right now. They already have 10 wins. And Jacksonville's like, well, damn, that's that was supposed to be, you know, our season. And then you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just down the road, and Jameis Winston is having a great season. He's going to potentially set NFL records for production through his first two years. He has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 7-5. and five in the mix for the playoffs and Jacksonville fans look at him and they're like, wow, that should have been how Blake Bortles is, you know? And then they look to the Tennessee Titans, right? And they see how the Titans are in the mix in their very own division for the playoff picture. And they see Marcus Mariota shining. It's like, wow, that should have been our guy. So we're talking about the, the failures of this team so far this season compounded with the expectations on top of how everybody else is doing, and it just makes the mood even more sour here in Jacksonville. And again, the feeling, if this was any other quarterback or any other organization, Blake Bortles probably would have been benched right now, you know, just given Mm -hmm. the way that he's played. The what I've thought is that really this is a Dave Caldwell move. They're still trying to see if Blake Bortles as a franchise quarterback is salvageable um, so that maybe the next coach comes in, gives him another chance, can make something of him. And if that's not the case, then they're allowing him to play to show that he has some kind of value and maybe they can move him come you know, at, uh, the draft time Maybe they can trade him for some kind of picks or something like that. They're just trying to find out right now what value he has uh, to this organization going forward. I don't think, given what we've seen so far this season, especially with his, his game last week, which you could consider one of the worst of the season for him, I don't think that he will be the, the quarterback for much longer uh, here in Jacksonville in the future. 
Interesting stuff. At Belkin Carey on Twitter, Locked On Jaguars host. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Vikings. Go ahead and hit me with something, Carey. I'm an open book. What does your audience want to know about Minnesota? Uh, well, six of the last seven games after that five uh, five and zero start. You know, six of the last seven games have been have been losses. What have been the biggest factors in that? drastic turnaround for the Vikings organization? Great question. People are still scratching their heads within that organization (laughs) to figure it out themselves. Uh, Number one, I'll go with a much more porous run defense. The Vikings have allowed 100 plus yards on the ground in five of the last seven games. That was a weakness for them in the first two years of the Mike Zimmer era. It seemed like they had squared it away early on this season But after the bye, which is really when everything has spiraled out of control, the the rushing defense has really struggled. So what that's led to is teams are putting themselves in second and shorts and third and shorts, and the Vikings are much more hesitant to blitz when teams are in manageable situations. Basically, the Vikings blitz when teams are off schedule, not on schedule. Therefore, teams have been on schedule. Vikings haven't blitzed, and it's led to far more success on third downs. It's led to far more explosive pass plays and far fewer sacks. Now, the defensive line has come around the last couple games. They were great against Carson Palmer. They were great against Dak Prescott, and they were pretty good against Matt Stafford as well. Unfortunately, they lost two of those games right at the wire. But the offense has also ceased to score as many points and you know part of that is and I mentioned it earlier Kerry the defense was scoring so often early in the season same with the special teams that it was an unsustainable model I think people were of the impression that the Vikings would would be able to keep that up all season long but you know the second the defense started scoring at such an insane clip they stopped scoring as many points overall, which, you know, makes perfect sense. But the offense has not carried its weight whatsoever. Obviously, they they score 16 points in a game they needed to win at home against Detroit. They score 13 points on Thanksgiving at Detroit in a game they needed even more. And then they score 15 points against Dallas last Thursday night in a game where they had every right to steal that game at home against the NFL's best and they couldn't get it done when it mattered. They fumbled in the red zone. They squandered multiple offensive opportunities uh, in the in Dallas's red zone. And, and just a a devastating series of losses for the Vikings have dropped them to this point. And it's not like they're getting blown out. And you know, sort of like Jacksonville, there's a lot of games that could have gone either way. A lot of coin flip games for the Vikings. Each of the last five have been decided by one possession. The Vikings have either led or been tied in all of those games and they've only won once. So, uh, not finishing games, huge reason why the Vikings are suddenly 6-6. Six and six. When we look at Jacksonville's defense, surprisingly, they're one of the better defenses in the league. They're top five. Um, they're fourth overall, second only to Denver in pass defense. If they were to attack this Minnesota offense, what are the best ways to do so? I think stopping the run is probably the best way to do it because that's what every other team has been able to do. The Vikings have just one game rushing over 100 yards this season back in week four against New York when they had 104 yards. That's their max this season. The Vikings are on a historically bad pace for rushing the football. They're under three yards per carry. And oddly enough, the only time they've had success running the football has been out of the Wildcat 
with Tony Sperano, their new offensive line coach, sort of promoting that this season. But the Vikings traditionally have been very poor at running the football from under center or shotgun formation. So if you stop the run, the Vikings get in third and long, and they don't really have the offensive line to allow for Sam Bradford to get deeper dropbacks and get deeper passes off. I mean, the Vikings against Detroit two weeks ago had one of the lower depths of target of any team this season with numerous times completing passes short of the sticks on third down. The Vikings have shot themselves in the foot with these negative rushing plays, and then you have no margin for error in the passing game. The Vikings threw it 50 times uh, against Dallas last Thursday, and they moved the football well. But when you have no running game, even if you complete 70% of your passes, it's still not enough because you're bound to have a penalty that sets you back. You're bound to have a sack that sets you back. And the Vikings are not explosive enough in the passing game to make up for those kind of mistakes. Sam Bradford is a high percentage passer, but he has not succeeded in getting the ball down the field very well. Part of that is an indictment upon the receivers. Part of that is play calling. But if the Jaguars just stop the run as other teams have done, I'm not sure the Vikings have enough explosion or enough protection to get the ball down the field and score more than one or two maybe offensive touchdowns. One of the more interesting facets of this game is the matchup between Sam Bradford and Jacksonville's defense. Uh, Bradford, if I recall correctly, threw an interception in the Dallas game. That was his, that was only his third of the year. Uh, Jacksonville, on the other hand, only has three interceptions, seven total takeaways on defense. What does Jacksonville defensively have to do in order to force Sam Bradford into rare mistakes? It's an interesting question. He hasn't made many mistakes this season, and he's also been very, very durable. So if it's unlikely you're going to fluster Bradford with a whole lot of pressure because he has taken plenty of hits this season, including a, a big one before halftime against Dallas. It looked like he might have a rib injury, came back and played pretty well in the second half. But if you can, if you can somehow force Bradford out of the pocket, he's not that terrific out of the pocket. So that uh, obviously could, could lead to some issues with Bradford, but Bradford is just not a mistake-prone guy. He's probably problem number seven in the Vikings' laundry list of issues this season. Like you said, he's only thrown three interceptions, and they were all pretty uncharacteristic. He has definitely been a solid pocket quarterback. Now, the frustration with Bradford is he's totally immobile. He's not going to scramble and improvise like Teddy Bridgewater could. He's not going to pick up a first down like Bortles can with his legs. The two couldn't be juxtaposed any more differently. I'm not sure there is a way to really get Bradford off his game. At least I haven't seen it this season. Obviously, he's had his share of poor games back with St. Louis and then last year with Philadelphia when he was coming off that knee injury. But Bradford said he feels the best he's felt in a long time, two consecutive healthy seasons. He's in a good rhythm passing. I'm telling you, it's not Bradford why the Vikings are losing these games. It's a multitude of other things. Bradford hasn't had that many poor games this season, to be honest. When you look at Minnesota's offensive line, or offense in general, what player does Jacksonville's defense need to take notice of the most? 
from a positive or negative standpoint, Kerry? Because there's certainly guys they can exploit. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's go both. What's the biggest concern, and what's the one player they can exploit the most? Stefan Diggs is an explosive wide receiver. He's got two games this season with 13 catches. He's incredibly shifty. He's great on comeback or dig routes, and he's a ter- tremendous yards after catch guy. So if Jacksonville doesn't tackle well, Stefan Diggs can go off for a big game. He's got two games this season of 160 yards plus against Green Bay and Washington, respectively. Watch out for Stefan Diggs, who could be sitting on another another big game. When the Vikings have needed a bailout, they've always gone to Diggs. And this could be a game where they feed it to Diggs over and over again if Jacksonville doesn't put a body on him. As far as exploiting the weakness on the Minnesota Vikings offensive front, it's got to be the tackles. Jeremiah Searles and TJ Clemmings last week had some terrible false start penalties. I believe Clemmings had a holding call. But TJ Clemmings at left tackle for two seasons now has been the weak link of that offensive line. So if they can attack Clemmings at the tackle position, there's certainly room there to get some pressures, hurries, QB hits, and sacks. Searles has been okay, but he hasn't been great. And they also might have a new center, too. Uh, Nick Easton filled in for Joe Berger last week. There was a bobbled exchange there, and there might have been uh, some cadence issues between Easton and Bradford. Joe Berger is still uh, questionable for Sunday's game with concussion symptoms. And that would leave Easton as the center once again. So the offensive line, which you've probably heard regaled many times, has just been battered by injury this season. No Matt Khalil, no Mike Harris, no Andre Smith, no Jake Long. And uh, John Sullivan leaves for Washington. Now you've got Joe Berger hurt. So just multitude of injuries, a litany of issues on that offensive line. And the Vikings have had a tough time overcoming that. Hey, uh, Carrie, I've got Sage Rosenfels coming up in a couple minutes. Let's uh, roll through a couple predictions for this game. What do you think the final score is going to be? Uh, you know, given given the way that Jacksonville games have played as of late and really just how Minnesota has kept games really close uh, to their detriment uh, at times, I think it's going to be another low-scoring game. I can see Minnesota winning here by about a score of 17 to 10, something like that. I think the uh, Minnesota's defense comes up big on Bortles, and that propels them uh, to the victory this week. I would tend to agree, probably pretty low scoring. I'll say the Vikings score on defense or special teams once. They get a couple field goals and maybe one offensive touchdown for a total of 20. I think they hold Jacksonville to 16. They're typically, I mean, the way they're playing right now, the defense probably is not going to allow more than 20 points unless the offense makes some pretty bad mistakes. So I'm going to go 2016 Vikings in a a game they absolutely have to have. I couldn't have said it better. I 100% agree. Carrie Belkin at Belkin Carrie on Twitter. Locked on Jaguars host, I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Locked on Vikings host. Hey, Kerry, fun crossover. Uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. Enjoy that balmy Florida weather. You know what? Uh, the only My prediction is the only thing I'll be able to enjoy is the weather because the game probably won't bring me much uh, satisfaction the way the, the way the season's played out. But you, uh, hopefully you can enjoy it too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you enjoy the weather. I'll enjoy the football. We'll both enjoy something. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for joining, Kerry. No problem. Thanks for having me.
Before we do predictions with Sage Rosenfels, I'd like to remind you, if you are looking to purchase or sell a home, if you are about to embark on that intimidating process, put all your anxieties at ease and partner with Josh Schrock, co-owner and realtor at Wits Realty. Personal, focused, professional. These are all words that describe Josh and his full-service real estate company. Number one, you get a free home consultation to figure out what your home is worth. Wits will strategize with you and help you design a plan to increase your profits on your home. They can even do the renovations for you without you having to sweat it at all. They've also got the best resources and staff to sell your home, and they can do it for way less than the competitors because of their lean model. Partnering with Wits to buy and sell your home saves you tens of thousands of dollars. You'll only pay 4%. That's how Wits stays focused on you. Just call up Josh Schrock, 612-656-WITS, 612-656-9487. Also check out witsrealty.com for more information. Wits, W-I-T-S. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash Sage Rosenfels with us now for our weekly predictions segment. First things first, Sage, Viking center situation. Joe Berger did not practice yesterday. Potentially Nick Easton playing again. I I think you made one of the best points of the week last week in that there are going to be some issues with the snap potentially with a new center and the Vikings, they bobbled a snap. And then it seemed like they might've had a, a cadence issue on that false start there at the end where Easton maybe was supposed to snap the ball, and they had that false start penalty. Uh, I think you nailed it. I think there were definitely a couple times in that game when the center exchange wasn't fluid. Well, the, you know, the center quarterback exchange is sort of like the field goal, you know, uh, holder exchange or the snapper holder exchange. No one really realizes how important it is until you know there's a change of, of a long snapper, a change of a holder or a change of a center. And, uh, you know, it's something that's worked on every single day. Usually the starting quarterback gets the majority of their reps with the starting center. They do get some reps with the backup center. But at this point in time, we're really talking about almost a third string center. Um, You know, when when you talk about, you know, where the season started uh, and training camp and all those types of things. So, yeah, a, a change of center does throw things off a little bit. The quarterback has to uh, you know, work, think about it a little bit more. You know, you're sort of unsure, you know, every single time if that center is going to give, give you the ball and then the correct uh, position and with the correct timing and every center snaps the ball differently. So it was an issue that last week and hopefully after now working with a couple of weeks with Sam Bradford, uh, they get this thing figured out. We'll get a, an updated report on Berger at practice at 11 a.m. today. But now it's time for our predictions. We got three games to call. We've got Chicago and Detroit, number one. Chicago is at Detroit. The Lions can eliminate the Vikings from division contention if they win and the Vikings would lose. Uh, That might be another Detroit victory as they host the Bears. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think Detroit wins this one. I think they win it whether it's at home or at Chicago. Obviously, they're playing at home, and, and you know they're the better passing team, uh, which is conducive to you know playing in the dome. So I think that they win this one by a good amount, at least ten points or so. Uh, Detroit has sort of had a fairy tale season, and you know the ball has bounced their way. Uh, it seems like almost every single game Matt Stafford's playing. Uh, phenomenally right now and, and obviously much better than any Bears quarterback that they could throw out there. The Lions finally won a game against New Orleans last week by more than one possession. So now that they've broken through there, I think they win this game by 10, by a 30-20 to 20 score at Ford Field, and they get a stranglehold on the division. How about Seattle at Green Bay at Lambeau Field? This could be a really good game in the late slot on Sunday afternoon. Seahawks, I mean, they, they looked outstanding outstanding against Carolina, but the week before that, you know, they lose in Tampa. So which Seahawks team is going to show up and which Aaron Rodgers is going to show up? Well, I like this one in particular because of the weather, and you might think I'm crazy, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't have a problem playing the cold weather, but that type of offense they run is more of a passing offense than a run offense, and Seattle's defense is so good. They're actually built to win in bad weather like this, just like they won last year in Minnesota in the playoffs. And so Russell Wilson plays good in bad weather. He throws the ball fairly well in bad weather. He obviously can run the ball as well. They've got a great running game that's starting to really pick up with this kid Rawls. Uh, they've got a good receiving core and tight end. So I just think that Seattle has too many good players on that football team, and they'll win this game probably by uh, you know seven or ten points as well. I'm going to go with uh, 24 to 14, 24 to 17 Seattle. I checked the forecast on this one, and it's going to be snowing most of the weekend in the Green Bay, Milwaukee area. There could be flurries again at Lambeau like there was in that Houston game last week. Could be even heavier this Sunday. Seattle is definitely the better team. The question is, d- does Green Bay play their best game when Seattle plays one of their, one of their sleeper games? It, it feels like kind of a big game feel for Seattle. Obviously, it's possible to maybe overlook a team like Tampa. They won't be overlooking Aaron Rodgers. Pete Carroll is too good of a coach, and there's too much talent on that defense. I think Seattle gets it done by one possession. I'll go 24-20 at Snowy Lambeau Field. And lastly, the Vikings at the Jaguars. We just talked to Kerry Belkin in Jacksonville. Sounds like a pretty negative vibe down there. Jags have lost seven straight. Vikings need to win four straight. Does it begin on Sunday? Yeah, I think so. I think the Vikings are going to get this win. I think they're going to win by a good 10 points again. Uh, Another game that I don't think will be that close, though the Vikings have struggled there's no talk about the Vikings firing their entire coaching staff and, you know, which means a lot of turmoil amongst the players. I think this might be one of those coaches, Gus Bradley, that's going to get fired. I've been in this situation before on teams. It's absolutely no fun. Playing at home is actually worse than playing on the road. I feel like, cause your fans have, have such a negative vibe going on that uh, I think Jacksonville plays crappy in this football game. The Vikings are going to play better. I think they're gonna have a lot of confidence going into this game. They also know this is sort of their Super Bowl. I and mean, if they don't win this game, their season's pretty much done. So this is a must win for the Vikings. I think they lay it all on the line right here and go out and get a victory 24 uh, to 14. I think this could be one of those second halves where the Vikings need to turn it on. They've had a lot of bad road first halves this year for whatever reason. So you would, you would think that they have enough, you know, motivation right now to come out strong, but 
I just have this feeling it's going to be a slow start and then an urgent finish to get the Vikings home. I just don't think Jacksonville has enough firepower to score you know, any more than 16, 17 points against this defense. So as long as the offense can carry its weight, maybe score two touchdowns, maybe the defense can put them in some favorable spots. I think the Vikings take it 20 to 16, as I told Carrie on the phone. It, it might be closer than you think. Jacksonville might not have a lot to lose, but Minnesota will get it done and live to see another game. Well, one thing I'd like to you know add on to that, and, and as we sort of wind down this season, and we'll see what happens with the Vikings uh, this last month of the season. You know, last night, I watched the majority of that Kansas City-Oakland game. And for those who may have watched that game or, or at some point will watch Kansas City this year because they will be in the playoffs. They're currently leading what I think is the best division in football, the AFC West. you got Denver's an excellent football team with a great defense, a defense very similar to the Vikings. Uh, you've got, uh, obviously, Oakland, uh, who, who uh, they beat last night. And I actually think the Chargers are, are a pretty good football team. Just happened to be in a really tough division. They had a lot of you know, close losses. So Kansas City Chiefs last night, phenomenal defense, phenomenal pass rush, good corners on the outside. Uh, they've got a decent running game. They've got some athletes. That's what they really have. They have a really good little skill position athletes. They're not six foot five, you know, Andre Johnson, Julio Jones type receivers, but they're guys that can make plays. Um, and they've got a quarterback that everyone calls this. He's the game manager, but you know what? This guy, Alex Smith, just seems to know how to win football games. I don't care if you're a game manager or you're a guy who can make plays like, like a Derek Carr usually does, but this guy wins football games. And I think, that was the type of quarterback that the Vikings were hoping to get when they got Sam Bradford, is a guy that can make some throws with his arm and occasionally make that big throw. Doesn't have to have a cannon, but also can hurt you with his legs. And there's many times last night where things would break down or no one would be open, and Alex Smith would go for a run and get that big first down. And uh, I think that will be something different, hopefully, if Teddy Bridgewater comes back next year. He can be a player like Alex Smith is, game manager, but just finds ways to win football games. Yeah, Smith and the Chiefs have now swept Oakland and beaten Denver. That is not easy to do in a phenomenal division. The Chiefs are now leading it, and I believe they got the tiebreaker now over Oakland, so they are in the driver's seat in the AFC West with three games to go. That was a, that was a fun game last night and a fun third quarter, and Derek Carr played uncharacteristically Poorly, but that's kind of one of the talkers, you know, about uh, this game on Sunday is, you know, you've got this guy Bortles on one side from the 2014 class. Then you're looking at Carr over here in Oakland from the same class having a phenomenal season. And then Bridgewater, of course, another quarterback from that class who just hasn't played at all this year because of the knee injury, but just different stages of where these quarterbacks are, how they've developed, the organizations they're a part of. And you see the scale of how a quarterback can define how your organization succeeds or fails. And you're seeing that right now with Oakland and with uh, Jacksonville. Well, I think with last night, I think everyone needs to keep in mind, uh, and this is for you know, really the rest of our lives as we watch football, that all this stuff that will happen after the season, you know, from January 1 all the way until the draft, they talk about quarterbacks all the time. You know, Mike Mayock and, and all these specialists talk about these quarterbacks uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of these guys have no idea. And, you know, no one said much about Dak Prescott. Uh, no one said much 
really all that much about Derek Carr uh, going to the draft a few years ago. Everyone loved guys like Blake Bortles and, and some other players. And so uh, you have to sort of just see how things play out and not get too excited if you draft a guy in the first round and, and still possibly have hopes for guys if you draft guys, say, in the third or fourth round. Sage, we'll let you go and talk to you again on Monday, hopefully breaking down a Vikings victory. Hopefully this season stays afloat. Have a good weekend. You too. Sounds good. He's Sage at Sage Rosenfels 18 on Twitter. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom. This has been Locked on Vikings presented by co-owner and realtor Josh Schrock with Wits Realty, witsrealty.com. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.